0: Many NDEers return to their bodies with the belief that Earth is just a dream, just a place to rehearse for life in heaven, our true home. They treat the Earth as merely a way station for sorting out who goes to heaven and who does not. But what they don't understand is that this Earth is a gem in the crown of God's creation. God's Word and consciousness, God's very being, was breathed into and throughout the nature of the woods and waters, the soil and stones and living creatures we live among and are a part of. This is our Garden of Eden, but we, the fallen children of creation, are poisoning our garden through our greed and thoughtlessness. That was not God's intention for us. God appointed us the gardeners, the caretakers of the earth. Earth is not some Motel 6 for us to stop at overnight, but an integral part of our home with God. That is why our guest today brought back such an important message from his near-death experience over three decades ago. At that time, David Millark was feeling he'd been wasting his life. In attempting to overcome his addiction to alcohol, his body was shutting down. And to make matters worse, he feared he'd been a disappointment to his wife and boys. But then David had his near-death experience, where angels let him know he had a job to do. The earth is in trouble, its trees are dying, and without them, human life is in jeopardy. The solution, they later told him, was to clone the champion trees of the world, the largest, the hardiest, the ones that had survived millennia and were most resilient to climate change, and create a kind of Noah's Ark of tree genetics. Without knowing if the message had any basis in science or why he'd been chosen for this task, David began his mission of cloning the world's great trees. Many scientists and tree experts told him it couldn't be done, but three decades later, he and his sons, his team, have successfully cloned some of the world's oldest trees, among them the giant redwoods and sequoias. They have also grown seedlings from the oldest trees in the world, the bristlecone pine named Methuselah. To date, David has won many awards and commendations from publication and conservation groups for the work of his Archangel Ancient Tree Archive organization. These include the Detroit News Michiganian of the Year, the Grant Thornton Leader and Innovator Award, the Garden Clubs of America Distinguished Service Award, Traverse, the Magazine Person of the Year, National Daughters of the American Revolution National Conservation Medal, the National Garden Clubs Award of Excellence for Conservation, Biography Magazine's Hero Award, and the Garden Clubs of America Zone X Highest Award for Conservation. His story is also told, told in a book by Jim Robbins, The Man Who Planted Trees, David Millark, welcome to NDE Radio.
1: It's truly my pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's wonderful to, to be here. You have had such a unique experience, and you've done so much with what you learned there. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you about it. David, as a child, you got some firsthand experience working on your family's tree farm, didn't you? Maybe we could begin with that. What was it like growing up on a family tree farm?
1: Well, I was born and raised actually in Lavonia, a suburb of Detroit. Oh, okay. My father had a nursery there, a wholesale nursery. So ever since I was a little guy, three or four years old, as soon as I stepped outside the house, I was at work. And at a very early age, that was uh, back in the fifties, we started very young. We'd do things to help at the nursery, you know, earn a living for the family, like a little bit of weeding, a little bit of everything. So I'm 73 today. My entire life, I've lived either at the nursery. I moved up in northern Michigan when I was 21 to the family farm, which is a six-generational farm. Like, there's been six generations of mill so far on the oh. land. <laughs> but I've always lived uh, near plants Or in the last 50 years with the trees. So, it's not like a job. It's more like I've had a lifestyle with plants and trees for my entire life.
0: Wow. Well. Wow. Well, David, tell us what was going on in your life when you were dying at only 41 years old and had your NTE.
1: Well, what was going on is I did die. I had total renal failure. Mm. And when you have total renal failure, your kidneys and livers quit working. And you have three or four days to live because you uh, start to blow up. You turn yellow. Your eyes turn red. And it's like the worst hangover you ever had uh multiply it's you're poisoning yourself to death your body can't get rid of any of the fluids so the pressure starts to increase around your heart in fact it's not uncommon for the heart to stop beating because of the pressure and it's it, it's really uh it's a it's a miserable way to go and a slow way to go yeah. so i i didn't get near near death experience i had a death experience yeah. and i'm certain of it I was in the hospital over at Frankfort, Michigan, and the doctors told me that uh, I was really, really sick, and a friend of mine took me into the emergency room after three or four days of, uh, I, you know, I was home, I was home, I said, I don't want anybody to bother me, my wife and kids. Uh, I said, yeah, I'm either coming out of the bedroom alive, dead, but I'm coming out sober, either way. Mm. And after the third or fourth day, I was really, really in trouble. I have an hard time breathing. Uh, I blew up. And so um, they took me over to the hospital to see if there's anything that could be done. And there wasn't. The doctor said that we could probably keep you around for this afternoon, maybe tonight, so the family could come in, but you're going to pass over. And I said, no, I'm not. He goes, yes, you are. We'll put you on dialysis, try and get some of the pressure out around your heart, but uh, you're not going to make it. I said, yes, I am. And it really confused him and it kind of made him uh, not very happy. But to make a long story short, we were both right. I did pass on later (laughs) that night, passed over. But to my surprise, I was sent back. When I Mm -hmm. went through that experience, i I went to the other side, and it's like probably a lot of other people have seen. It was beautiful there. There was like what you would call like a city, but not a city like we see here on Earth. There were a lot of light beings and uh, people in spirit. And lo and behold.
0: I think you said that you felt uh, like a thud in your chest and that you had started with an out-of-body experience. Is that right?
1: Well. Uh I uh when I was in the emergency room for two or three hours, let's back up just a little bit. The doctor uh-huh. said, Well, we're gonna try and take the pressure off your heart. The fluids uh stopping your heart. We'll put you on dialysis and try and keep you around so your family can come in. Uh-huh. So that's exactly what they did, but he said, You'll probably hemorrhage to death because you know your blood's uh degraded and when they got that finished, I did feel better. And I said, I'm going home. And the doctor said, you're not going home. I said, yes, I'm, I'm going home. He said, you're going upstairs to go on dialysis. And we're going to try and keep you around. I said, no, you're not. So I said, my friend's here that brought me here, Larry. I said, I want Larry to come in and help me get to the car. I want to go home. So he, the, doc, the doctor got really angry. And I said, you can't keep me here. And that's what I want to do.
0: I was a hospital chaplain for 15 years. You're the kind of patient we always dreaded having. <laughs> you had a mind of your own. Well, it said in the description that I read that you were out of your body. You looked down at your body and you said, I looked awful, bloated, <laughs> my my skin yellow and gray. But then you well, must have got started through the tunnel. Is that right?
1: Well, first I had to get out of the hospital. So my friend Larry came <laughs> in and I couldn't walk. Yep. So he put he put me up over his shoulder and carried me out to the truck. Oh, no. <laughs> and drove me home. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and the hospital is not very happy with me, but I did make it home, and he helped me make it home. I couldn't walk. He carried me in the house. Yeah. And uh, into my bedroom, and I thanked him, and he left. <laughs> so later on that night, I did pass over. Uh, my oh. body died. And I, you know, you lift up, you know, to like the ceiling of your bedroom. Yeah. And you're still you. You're still conscious, just like we are right now. Yeah. And I saw myself laying there, and I didn't look very good. It was one of my better days, that's for sure. <laughs> then an angel came, and they know how afraid you are because you're afraid, and it's you know difficult and things, and so right. they sent an angel. She said, "I'm going to take you across." And she goes, don't be frightened. I know you're frightened. I'm right here with you. And after I lifted up to the ceiling, we went into the tunnel of light, which seemed to be about I think 10 feet in diameter. Mm. White light walls with these helixes, a band of pink light one way and blue light the other way. Mm. And off we went. It was like getting shot out of a cannon. It is pretty frightening. You're going pretty fast, but she was hanging on. And it wasn't very long. It seemed like Less than a minute, we arrived, sh- stopped, and stepped out into that dimension. And it is the most beautiful place. There's harmonics of, uh, of music that wave through your your light body. It's the, it's just, it's so beautiful. It's difficult to describe other than like holding your firstborn baby just after the baby's born. That baby.
0: Oh, nice.
1: And so... I saw I saw I saw what I presumed as friends in their spirit body, and you can see who they are in a city in the background, and then all of a sudden a very, very powerful, thunderous energy came and it was Archangel Michael. And Archangel Michael was very large, very, very, very powerful. Mm. I could feel that power. And he said to me, he said, David, Michael, you have to go back. And I was, I was, I knew that there was no arguing with whatever that energy was. Mm. And I just got there and I said, why? He said, you have work to do. And he said, don't try and come back here. And he also said, you will never take another drink again as long as you're on earth. And I wasn't ready to agree to anything because of the tremendous energy and strength of this being. And so two angels came uh, and helped me back through the tunnel of light, back into my bedroom. I hovered on the ceiling and went back down into my physical body. Mm -hmm. And when I went into my physical body, my wife had called my mother because she said they knew that I was gone. I, you know, I I died and I scared the bejesus out of her, because when I came back into my body, I sat up, she said, and I was talking to somebody in the corner of the bedroom. Well, it was the middle of the night. I was talking to the angel and she couldn't see the angel. Hmm. And so all of a sudden she is getting ready to call, you know, the ambulance to take me because I was gone. And lo and behold, I sat up and I said, I'm really thirsty. Could you get me some water? That's all I said. <laughs> <laughs> so she did she was shaking pretty good i guess i drank some water and i went back to sleep that's how it was for me
0: when you were in the other place people often talk about a feeling of unconditional love did you experience oh, that
1: in waves i mean it's just wave after wave after wave of unconditional love but also the lights or the lighting of of that dimension are, are Beautiful colors that we don't have here on earth, a lot of them. And so there's this wave after wave of unconditional love going through your spirit body, which, you know, it pretty much looks like who you are right now. It's uh, in, you, in your conscious like we are right now. But between the lighting, the waves of, of, of unconditional love, and then there's a harmonic, not really song, but harmonics. That wave through you, that come through you, also that are like beautiful, beautiful vibrational music. It's uh, it's spectacular. Is it's you know, if you had the option to stay there, come back, you definitely want to stay there because it's uh, a lot lighter and more beautiful and loving than here.
0: So the the colors, the light, the music, and the love are all like a vibration. Are oh they ti- yeah, you can, you can. Are they feel all tied it? together somehow?
1: I would imagine that they are, but, you know, I don't have the, you know, I don't have the consciousness to discern each of them, but it's, it's a, uh, it's just wave after wave. And the word that comes to mind is rapture of mm. unconditional love of beauty and uh, a tremendous love that supersedes everything. That's, that's what it feels like, but you you can still function. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, It's not overpowering.
0: Yeah. Now, Archangel Michael is so important Ah. to the world. Describe how he looked. I think he said he had a dark blue cape.
1: Well, he was about, appeared to be 20 to 30 feet tall. Mm. Uh, It was a clear, it was dark blue, but a clear light color Uh and and golden eyes. And he wasn't carrying a sword or a shield or any of that stuff. But his voice was sort of like thunder. Yeah. It was it, 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 you know very, very, very powerful, but also loving. It's not it wasn't like a, a scary powerful, it was like a real positive, you know. You know, mm-hmm. I I've come to learn after that experience. I started working with Michael every night for the last 30 years. Archangel Michael is in charge of all other archangels. By, by the edict of creator or God. So he's head of all the archangels, and his primary job is to protect planet Earth. That's his main job, is protection. Well, not just humans, but all of the Earth's uh, families. You know, we have kingdoms. We have the animal kingdom. We have the plant kingdom. We have the kingdom of the oceans. He oversees other archangels and many, many, many... Uh, legions of angels that are here to help, mm. and Archangel Michael's available to anybody. There's no such thing as being a wrong religion or the wrong ethnic or anything. All you have to do is, all you have to do is think or say, Archangel Michael, I need your help, and automatically there's a line of light that goes to your being. And but what I've come to learn, a lot of other people, you know don't know about or haven't learned is that you know prayer is asking or saying archangel michael i need your help put out that call and if you really really want to get things moving a lot quicker or more powerfully this is a free will planet creator or god said this planet is going to be a free will planet so all of us have a free will what we do with it is our business we can give our free will to a political organization an army, a government, a church, uh, or whatever we, you know, it's ours to do with, but if we say Archangel Michael, I need your help. And I give you my permission to help me. That's, you know, that allows the angels, the archangels, the light beings to engage because it's a free will planet. They really need our, our permission and intention. So, Everybody and anybody listening, if you'd like to give it a try, say, Archangel Michael, I need your help, and I give you my permission to help me. Yeah. That completes the cycle, and things really get moving that way. So yeah, I think there's a lot of religions, churches, governments that don't want you to know that when you give your permission or your will to whoever it is or whatever it is, then they can engage. So be careful who you give it to or what you give it to. Make sure it's loving and it's positive and it's for your highest good. That's my advice.
0: Mine too. Archangel Michael. Well, listen, the angels gave you some direction sometime later after you'd recovered. Tell us about how those notes came to be.
1: Well, when I did come back, I could not walk. Uh, The renal failure uh, had taken my ability to walk. I'd lost nearly 100 pounds and uh, my feet and ankles were turning black. Uh, the nerves had died in my feet and my ankles, and I was in tremendous pain. So I used to have to keep both feet in two different five-gallon buckets of ice water to kill the pain, and I had to do that every half hour or so around the clock. So it was recovery was about a month to six weeks before I could walk again, mm. and uh, pretty much I was on. You know, I had all I could do to try and heal my body. Uh, but one night, about a month, I think it was about a month, maybe maybe six weeks. One night at 2 a.m. in the morning, uh, an angel came into the bedroom. And the bedroom got really bright. And my wife did not get woken up. They have a way to see that your partner is able to sleep through. And the angel said to me, go out into the living room, into your leather recliner, have a yellow pad and a pen. And so the light was so bright, I had my hand over my eyes. It was still bright. So I said, I will if you'll turn the lights down. It's too bright. (laughs) So they turned the lights down so I could navigate. And I went out in the kitchen, got a yellow pad, a pen. I went over to my leather recliner. And I'll tell you, I was, you know, it it was a little little disconcerting. And I sat there, and I really had no idea what was going on. And they said, uh, take these notes then that's all I remember I woke up at six o'clock in the morning with a yellow pad with seven pages of a perfect outline the spelling was perfect the outline of the I mean the layout of the outline was perfect and the project was there on my lap well my wife happens to teach English and about six o'clock she came up and I was sitting over in the chair kind of dazed and she goes what are you doing I Said, I'm not exactly sure. And she looked at the pad, picked it up. She goes, Who wrote this? And I she goes, and I don't write cursive, I only print in all capitals, and everything was, you know. And I said, I guess I did. She goes, You can't do that. You you don't know how that's not your outline. I said, I don't know how it got here. An angel helped me, and that's all I know. And she she said, Well, I think we better get the boys up for school. And she goes, and that's how. The project, the outline for this project came through 30 years ago, mm. and we're still following that outline today. It's uh, it was perfect. Uh, it was hard to understand a lot of it 30 years ago how things would come to where they are, but we were in bankruptcy at the time. We had no extra money. Wow. Uh, I was not you know physically able to work to earn a living because I hadn't recovered enough, and so. You know, when you read the, you know, you're going to go out into the world, like, sort of like Noah's Ark, and you're going to bring the the species, the great oldest, largest species of trees, two by two into a living library, like uh, Noah did with the animals. I had no money for travel. I didn't know how to do it. My physical health wasn't there. And I said, <laughs> uh, I was willing, but there, there was no capacity. Uh, So I started below water, financially, physically, mentally, and I did not know how to do it. So that's how it started.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What did the first page tell you? I mean, how did you get started? Did you uh, go out and raise the money or did you recruit your sons or where did you go first? There was never any money.
1: In the seven page outline, there was never any mention of raising money. Hmm. We've never had a fundraising arm, so to speak, in 30 years. We've never wrote any grants. Uh, People come into Archangel Ancient Trees, individuals now all over the world, and substantial amounts of money just happen to show up at the appropriate time through usually unknown channels. So as needs are, as our needs become greater and greater, we're at about $2 million a year to run the project globally where we're at. Wow. Uh, It just seems that people that read our book, read, uh, we have a a tremendous amount of international press every year. Uh, People see our projects that we're doing around the country and around the world, and they just step up and they say, we'd like to help. Uh, As a matter of fact, there was a lady that uh, passed away last fall in Seattle, Washington, that left us a million dollars in her will. I've never met the lady. I don't know who she is, but we're planting our redwoods and sequoias in 35 different cities around Puget Sound and we're giving them all to the different groups. Well, she must have seen that and lo and behold, out of the blue, came a million dollar gift from a lady that I never met and they actually don't want us to uh, acknowledge her or anything, it was just a gift. So, wow. The money part wasn't there. They said you have to find the big trees. So go find the world's largest and oldest big trees. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was job one. Locate, find, you know, find the lists and the maps, then go to and you know, the largest and oldest trees. So we did that in our local area to begin with. And then it, then it went to the state and then the Midwest and the country and now now internationally. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty darn amazing that we're at where we're at under the circumstances, but
0: here we are. Yeah. Well, you're transplanting redwoods and sequoias. Talk about the process of that because you're going up to the tops of the trees, aren't you?
1: Well, remember, these are the world's largest, tallest, oldest trees. And, We don't only do just do sequoias and redwoods. We've done over 70 different species of trees in the United States and some in Europe and Ireland, but they have to be the measured largest and tallest of that species to fit the criteria. So let's just say, tomorrow I leave uh, to go back to California once again. Excuse me, the New York Times Magazine is waiting for us tomorrow to do a story on giant sequoias and it'll be our ninth feature story in the New York times. Wow. Well they have a film crew there and they want to know how are we able to clone 3000 year old giant sequoias that are nearly 400 feet tall. And the trunks of these trees are 35 feet across. So there's a fascination around the world with these trees that were Fifteen hundred years old when Jesus walked the earth. These trees are older than uh, 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 Pharaoh Ramses II. Uh, they're, they're they're just they're ancient. They're still alive, and yes, we climb up the trees all the way to the tops and now to the end of the branches to get this year's new growth off of the giant ancient trees. And that seems to that seems to be the material that, unlike any other group in the world, they've tried. Uh, we've been, we've had success with. But I think at our, our propagation facility in northern Michigan, we have, we have angels and archangels here around the clock. I mean, when people walk into this building, they go, whoa, whoa what is that feeling? So it's, uh, there's definitely, we have help from, you know, higher dimensions uh, doing the impossible. And if people ask and give their permission, no matter what you're asked to do, or what your mission is, your chances are about a thousand times greater that it will be accomplished. If instead of trying just to rely on yourself and and you know you know who you think you are, if you ask for divine guidance and divine help and give your permission, they engage and they can they will open doors and and miracles will start in your life. I that I'm I'm certain of
0: I live near a town of named Castine in Maine where they still have some of the giant old elm trees. And I was wondering if you cloned any of those. Yes. They're beautiful, beautiful trees.
1: We've cloned the national champion American elm. That happened to be in Buckley, Michigan. And we discovered that about 15 years ago. And when we discovered that tree, it was uh, 150 feet tall, Uh, 120 foot crown spread and the trunk was uh, 11 foot across the trunk. And we discovered that tree. That tree went out in every media around the world. The first media that heard about us discovering it was the Chicago Tribune, and it made the front page of the Chicago Tribune. Paul Harvey heard about it, and he put it on his radio broadcast. The New York Times sent a reporter, the Associated Press sent a reporter, and they put it out around the world. Smithsonian's Magazine sent a reporter in a helicopter to photograph it. So that American elm really launched this project around the world when we were lucky enough to find the largest one in the world. But they still need our help. Uh, Yes.
0: Now you're moving these species further north to uh, compensate for the global warming?
1: Yes, it's called assisted migration. So because of how fast our climates are changing, and how fast the oceans are rising, and how fast it's an increase in, in, in temperature uh, and a lack of rain. Uh, there are a little over 8,000 different species of trees, and over half that list of species of trees are endangered or threatened. And two of the ones that leave that list are the redwoods and sequoias. So 10 years ago, we decided to try and keep them around, <coughs> excuse me, which we have. We've cloned 65 of the largest, oldest coast redwoods alive today, successfully. And we've cloned about a dozen of the largest, oldest giant sequoias uh, alive today. And they're all two to 3,000 years old. And now what the media is coming for is that we've began replanting old-growth redwood. And we've begun replanting old-growth sequoia forests that were lost to fires in the last few years or lost to logging. Most people do not know. We've cut down 98% of our old growth trees here in the United States. Uh. There's only 2% old growth left. Coast Redwoods, the beloved redwoods that you see on postcards and you think they're in California, they're not. We've cut 96% of the old growth redwoods down. Wow. Most of it was sold for pennies on the dollar to the Asians through illegal means or barely legal means of some of our political leadership in Washington, DC. Uh, So we're starting to rebuild old growth redwood forests, not just in California, but in Oregon, Washington, Chile, uh, New Zealand, uh, Wales, and in England. Because man's greed seems to know no limit And these trees are the first uh, in the world of two to three thousand year old trees successfully being cloned. And when they get bigger, there'll be people probably eager to cut them down and convert them into money like they have all the rest. So we've spread them out around the world to try and stay one step ahead of the loggers.
0: (laughs) I've been to Muir Woods in California. Beautiful, beautiful trees. Uh, These trees should be protected by uh, as as national parks.
1: Well, if you'll remember, uh, as recently as our last president, the first week our last president was in office, he uh, took all the protection off of mining and logging, national, state, uh, national forests, and national parks. The very first week in office, it wasn't it wasn't our current president; it was the one before that. Yeah. So his first work was to unprotect our national forests and our old growth trees so that his friends get to convert that into money for their corporations
0: yeah terrible so global warming leads to drought and then drought leads to bark beetles and bark beetles take the trees down too
1: global warming leads to war eventually hmm. because when you shut off people's access to water and food they don't usually just sit around millions and millions of them and die slowly you know, from a lack of food or die quickly from a lack of water, they get agitated and they start to move. We can look all over the world in Africa, a lot of places around the world where people are dying and starving and there's not enough water and you'll see mass migrations of people. Mm. So mass migrations means they don't care where the food and water is. They're going to get there to try and get it. Uh, So the, the end result of, Climate change actually is war over water and food. Now, our friends that are listening in California, I don't need to talk to you about a lack of water. I mean, we've had nice rains lately, but the reservoirs were nearly empty a month ago. Uh, you're still not out of the woods. You're in the middle of a thousand-year drought. Uh, and I would say that our, building our great cities in the desert was a real mistake. It's not sustainable. You don't build your major cities in the middle of the desert, then haul all the water, all the food, and everything it keeps to try and sustain tens of millions of people. It doesn't work. I mean, you've drained every river in the West. You've drained every reservoir in the West. You're down to drilling water 2,000 feet down. It's 10 million years old. And sooner or later, you're going to run out of water and you're going to run out of food. That's what the scientists are saying. So we need to rethink our sustainability lens also, my friends.
0: I don't know what cities like Phoenix are going to do in the next few years. seems like they've created a monster out there.
1: Well, you know, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, Phoenix, San Diego, uh, Los Angeles, they're all in the same boat. They, They were built in the deserts. And when there's no food or water, your real estate prices are probably going to take quite a dip. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you might want to think about that one before you buy your home in the desert.
0: <laughs> yeah, Why is that you take uh the top needles off the, off the, or cuttings off the tops of the trees rather than taking the seeds from the trees? Well,
1: everybody failed before when they were trying to clone these old trees. They were, when we first started, they would, about laugh us out of town they said well trying to get several a several hundred year old or several thousand year old tree to reproduce is like trying to ask a 115 year old woman to have a baby it won't work Mm -hmm. we've tried you know how can you guys claim that blah 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 well i went in consultation 30 years ago with my physical father and i asked him because we'd been in the tree business for three generations he goes well if you, would, if, you would, if you wanted to take your best chance at that, I would suggest you go to the very tops of the trees and out to the end of the branches and get this year's new growth before the hormones and the messengers get to that new growth and say, I can't be cloned. That might be your best shot, son. Mm. So, you know, you have to have the world's most technical, greatest climbers in the world. To climb the world's tallest and biggest trees. I mean, you know, climbers that have experience in that are very, very rare. But that's what we did. We found guys that were able to go up the tallest trees in the world out to the end of the branches. We brought that back, and that's the secret. It has worked ever since we started getting this year's new growth, no matter what species of trees, you know, before the hormones and the messengers say, no, it can't, it won't work.
0: It's almost like taking stem cells from humans before they're assigned a job. I don't know if that's a cellular relationship there or not.
1: Well, you know, cloning trees, we don't change the genetics. We don't change the DNA. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't mess with with the genetics at all. In fact, now the way that trees that we're propagating a lot of our trees is through, we have a tissue culture lab here at Archangel in northern Michigan. So, you know, we're experimenting and getting some pretty good results with tissue culture and micropropagation of our trees. And in that way, you could take a very small amount of material and t- turn that into millions of trees in a year or two. So that's the wave of the future is utilizing micropropagation and tissue culture. But it's not like we're changing the DNA or changing the genetics. Right. You know, it's, uh, you know. Almost all species of trees worldwide are self-cloning, okay? It's just that we haven't learned how to work with nature and ask that tree to help us help that tree. Because uh, a lot of the trees that we've cloned over the last 30 years are no longer with us. Uh, They die. They've been cut down. uh, And there's eco-terrorism. There's a lot of people that don't want to be told what to do and what not to do. So we no longer give the locations of where the trees are because they'll come and they'll cut it down and kill it. Just so nobody can say, you can't do this logging or you can't do that. So with anger and out of spite, they'll kill the tree that we found, the biggest. That's happened to several species.
0: Talk a little about, for the people that look at financial values in life, the financial value of a tree left standing as opposed to cutting it down for wood?
1: Well, American Forest and the United States government Forest Service has taken the value of a 12-inch diameter tree in the city and it contributes $64,000 worth of benefits per tree per year in our urban areas. Wow. So a tree's value is $64,000 per year if we let them live and help clean the air and the water and habitat and logging prices, I'm not sure what that is, but it's quick money. You see Mm -hmm. it's quick money. Mm -hmm. And then if you get the book, Jim Robbins book, R O B B I N S the man who planted trees. He's a New York times science times reporter who lives in Helena, Montana. Uh, He's footnoted uh, the book that he wrote about our project, the man who planted trees. And, Back 12, 13 years ago when we were traveling together and he was getting information, I had brought through that uh, trees have a consciousness and feelings just like humans. Well, there was no science to prove that back then, but you'll read about it in the book. And Now, uh, the book's worth reading because not just my story, which is just a story, it's footnoted. It's footnoted, and we now know for certain there's hard science to prove Trees feel pain. So every tree that we've cut down, it felt the pain, screamed that pain out, and the other trees in the area were able to pick that up. They're conscious. They can recognize different individuals. They talk to us, and they understand when we talk to them, and there's hard science to prove that now. So all the logging that we've done everywhere, all the boards in all of our homes, all of the stuff that we said, well, it's just a commodity. It's just wood. It came from a conscious living being that felt the pain when it was cut down. Think about that. That's not my opinion. There's hard science now to prove
0: that. I interviewed an nde who, when he was out of his body, said he walked through a desk and could feel the conscious vibration, what was the remnant of the conscious vibration of the wood in that desk.
1: That's really incredible. I don't ha- I'm not that sensitive, but I will. I've led many, many reporters for many, many notable world newspapers, notable world uh, magazines, and I've taken them on tours of the Redwoods, and I've showed them how to communicate with the trees. I've showed them the, the physical procedure to back up to the tree, put their back on it, hands to the side, palms on the tree, relax, and start to communicate with that tree. And some of those experiences have been really, really profound. Sometimes even the spirit of the tree will come out of the tree and take form as energy and and converse with the individual. Usually they don't do that unless they're really skeptical. You know, who's ever, you know. (laughs) But we've taught, it's one of the things that Archangel, it's our goal to teach all the children of the world how to go out in their own backyard or wherever their favorite tree is and start to carry on a conversation with the wisdom of that tree. Uh, and we, we teach them how to do that.
0: I am certainly a tree hugger, but I, I have never thought to put my back to the tree rather than my front to the tree. Well, we have some large oaks and some large pines on my property. Any,
1: anybody can do it. It's, you know, indigenous people, Native Americans all over the world for thousands of years have been talking to trees. I mean, the only ones that didn't believe in that the only ones that haven't practiced it are the arrogant Europeans that settled this country. Mm. But for thousands of years, there's over 800 tribes of indigenous people. They've been talking to the animals, to the trees for millennia. So here's how you do it. Walk out to your favorite tree, say, hey, I would like to converse with you, talk to it. And I can't hear you right now. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of skeptical, but I'll try it. Then walk up to the tree, turn around and put your back and the back of your head up against the tree. and reach down and put each palm of your hand, one on each side of you, put your palms of your hands on the trunk of the tree and hold that position. And sort of go into a meditation and say, I would like to communicate with, you know, the consciousness of who you are then just be quiet. Then you'll start to feel things come through your body, like waves of energy. Okay, and then you can close your eyes and say, start your conversation. Say, could you say something? And if you're quiet and you start to pay attention, you start to hear whispers. And then you say, oh, boy, is that? Well, am I making that up? Am I hearing things or whatever? And I have to say within, oh, two or three times of consciously trying that, You'll be able to have conversations with any tree that you choose, but I'd suggest you go to your favorite tree. Uh, And that's what we teach children all over the country. Uh, If you go on our website, we have a tree school. We're only doing, we've we've learned from the wisdom of the indigenous people. You know, the native people, indigenous people all over the world, they're the ones that, uh, like I said, have been doing it for millennia. It's... uh, It puts a whole different perspective on the kingdom of the forest. They aren't just a commodity. They are living, conscious beings with messages and help.
0: Have you learned from Archangel Michael what role the earth plays in our lives and in the life of the creation that God made?
1: It's earth school. There are many, many schools in many, many dimensions around this, around the universe. Earth is earth school. It's where we incarnate as human beings to work on our weaknesses, to work on our faults, to help, uh, to help our souls. We, we, we have, before we incarnate, before we are brought into that baby's body, that humans, we create bodies, not souls. Only God creates souls. Before we incarnate, we have a powwow back home, because this is not home, uh, of what we're going to work on. What do we need to work on to purify our soul? And so there'll be a short list of things that reoccur in our life over and over and over again for our opportunity to uh, work on it and do it up and and to love it and heal it. (laughs) One of mine was drinking, you know, it's, it's my opinion, I drank for many, many lifetimes, and, you know, God in his mercy, there's no time limit. Uh, you know, if you choose and ask for help to put that behind you, you know, your alcoholism, uh, that you will get help, and uh, it is possible. But once you master that, you don't have to come back and do it again. So, it's Earth School, we're here to work on purification of our soul very specifically what we need to work on and to finish karmic dances with other people that we've been here on earth with in other times. Uh, That's my reality of why we're here on, on earth. And I would say, why not ask Archangel Michael yourself, who's ever listening, say, Archangel Michael, if you can hear me, which he can, and I give you my permission, why are we on earth? I would ask for yourself and begin that dialogue with Archangel Michael.
0: Yeah. You mentioned moon trees. I got the feeling that it was possible seeds could have traveled to earth from other places on meteors, perhaps if they can survive and, and actually thrive in space. Tell us about that.
1: Well, we have what we call the moon tree because one of the astronauts 30 years ago took a, a sack of redwood seeds, put it in his suit went to the moon, circled the moon, and brought them back to Earth. And we have some of those trees that we propagated, what we call the moon tree, from the seeds that went to the moon and around the moon and back. I can't say that I'm wise enough to know the origin of where all life comes from. I, I don't know. But I do know somebody or something had to assist here on this planet Earth. It's It's gone through tremendous... Uh, Changes. I happen to believe that you know we've nearly destroyed the planet a couple of times before where we're at right now. Uh, There's evidence. There's archaeological evidence to uh, indicate that nuclear holocaust. We've 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 wiped ourselves out in the past with that. Mm. Uh, You know, and and things are as they are right now. There is so much that everybody needs to do to try and help assure that their grandchildren have a life on this planet, because there is a group of 10,000 of the world's brightest scientists, a lot of them are climate scientists, that give the Earth, humans on Earth, 50 years. And 50 years from now, life for human beings will no longer be possible on planet Earth. Check it out look it up, Google it up, start to explore that. That is not acceptable to me. I cannot give my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, well, sorry, I had to make a lot of money. Sorry, I needed my second vacation home. Sorry, I was too busy at work. I could not help our mother, Mother Earth. I did not do anything to try and assure that we can reverse the challenges we have so your great-grandchildren could live on this planet. Uh, Everybody needs to get off the couch, get out of their work chair, and start today to help Mother Earth, our planet, that provides everything that we eat, everything that we breathe, everything that we drive. We can't wait any longer. That's the message why I agree to do this show, is to encourage people. You can't sit in the bleachers any longer. We're out of time, okay? You need to make small efforts, not just recycle, but plant two trees every year. So for every member of your family, please set the goal to plant two trees a year and then water them to make sure that they live because it's getting so hot and dry. And if everybody planted two trees a year, every man, woman, and child on this planet for 20 years, we'd reverse climate change back to 1980. It wouldn't be an issue. There are ways to there are ways to reverse this. There are ways to turn this around, but it isn't by sitting on a couch or in your work chair, or by doing nothing, sitting on your hands. God put us here as the stewards of this planet, not to use it up for personal gain. We are God's stewards to help our mother, Mother Earth. I think stewardship, active stewardship, start today, and. Do it for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to come, or they won't be able to. That's the message I like to relate.
0: David, you referred to past lives. Do you see us as reincarnating as trees? Is there a possibility if we eliminate ourselves as humans through another nuclear war or whatever, could we come back as part of the nature that you're planting right now?
1: It's my understanding with the archangels. God is not going to allow us to destroy this planet for the third time. They are going, they are here to intervene. Man's greed knows no limit. Man's anger and hatred knows no limit. It will not be allowed to destroy this planet. A number of people will are going to remain on this planet to help rebuild it, to help build it in light and love, not man's greed. Okay, so... The planet will not be destroyed. We can't destroy it. It's it's too big and too powerful. We can only destroy ourselves, and that's not going to be allowed. So people that believe in the rapture, yeah, a lot of people are going to leave here and go home, but there's going to be a number left to help rebuild God's planet, but mm-hmm. not under the rules that we have right now. So, no, we won't come back as trees. We'll, we'll come back as humans and light workers to rebuild this planet. That's my that's my belief and my understanding. Have we been trees? I think it's possible a long, long, long time ago to incarnate as trees, but I'm not sure, and I haven't really worried about that too much. There's too much to do right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's such a remarkable consciousness that we've neglected or we have never really fully appreciated and trees who so can talk to each other through their roots and. Dolphins and other large-brained animals like whales, we just go out and hunt and kill, but they are very wise. We could learn and benefit a whole lot more from their wisdom than from their meat.
1: Trees, by the way, are antennas. Each species of tree gathers day and night different cellular energies. They modulate those cellular energies that they pick up day and night and turn that into life force through the root systems to keep life force here in this planet. There are connectors to the heavens. There are connectors to the universe. And there are also antennas that gather, that create life force in harmony. We're not only cutting down the lungs of the earth, we're cutting down the life force itself that it gathers from millions and millions of different stars, each species of trees. It's a lot more than just boards, my friends. We're killing the planet by cutting down the very life source that creates life source for Mother Earth, our antennas, the trees.
0: If some of our listeners would like to help you with this project, how would they find out more about you? Uh, What's your website? And tell them again about the book.
1: Well, the book is The Man Who Planted Trees by Jim Robbins. He's a New York Times Science Times reporter. We don't get the royalties off of it. We didn't write it, but it's doing really well around the world because a lot of the things we talked about, there's hard science now to prove. I would say get a copy of the book, and you can get a copy of the book, of course, on Amazon or on our website. We have many, many international news media that you know we've done over the last few years showing our climbers going up these ancient trees, the tree school kids propagating these trees all over the world. And it's ancient, the name of our organization is Archangel Ancient Trees. So if you Google up Archangel Ancient Trees, you can find our website. But our website is ancienttreearchive.org. We're a 501c3 federally recognized nonprofit. We won't pester you for money. If you're touched and called and would like to help the children of the world, the trees of the world, go to our website and There's many places on that website where you can give a contribution or you can sponsor a whole grove. I would like to build a whole redwood grove that'll be there for the next two or 3,000 years with your family name on it. That's possible. So there's lots of different ways to help. And if trees aren't your thing, I would encourage everybody today, start today, do something positive and kind for Mother Earth.
0: David, thank you so much for this. I hope people take this message to heart. It's really important. It's really, really very important. And I thank you for presenting it in such a, a clear way, such an intelligent way.
1: Well, you're welcome. And it's a gift that I'm here to even give the message. I mean, literally, folks, every day's a gift, as you well know. And I'm here on borrowed time. <laughs> so, so
0: are we all. Yes. So are we all. <laughs> If listeners would like to hear this show again, or any of our more than 490 archived, ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE Radio site and hit the past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And Be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.